If we need the lights, maybe go one more teaching slide. This was like the logo of our of our time together. And I would invite you to take your Bibles and open them up to the book of James. The book of James, where we're gonna we're gonna be. And I'm just preaching to you what I preach to the kids. Uh, my my text was James three. So we gotta we gotta gear up, get there a little bit. James is a book of action. It's it's a call to have our faith put into action. Demonstrate our faith by action. You can even see it there in the logo. Real faith, real life. To see in our faith manifests itself in life. A uh, key text in the book of James is chapter one, verse twenty two, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. And that's, that's kind of the book of James. It's saying, make sure that you take the Word, what you hear, what you believe, and prove yourself a doer of the Word, thereby demonstrating your faith. Don't be just someone who hears the Word, doesn't put it into practice, because that faith, as it says in James chapter 2, is dead. The, the main burden of chapter 1 is that we would walk wisely through our trials and temptations. Chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results, so you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. One is walking wisely according to the Word, realize that trials are going to come upon the life, but we'll walk with them in joy, knowing that the endurance will produce an effect in our lives. Chapter 1, at this last half, it says to deal rightly with the Word of God. Chapter 1, verse 19, right? But everyone, quick to hear, be slow to speak, and slow to anger. Right? Prove yourselves, verse 22, a doer of the Word, not merely a hearer only. Right? Deal rightly with the Word. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. Right? Take, take, take what, what God's Word says to you and help the orphans and the widows. That's true religion and to keep oneself blameless from the world. Taking the Word and putting it out into practice. Chapter 2 is speaking about taking care of your riches. Don't, don't be partial to those who are rich and have much. In chapter 2, towards the end, it says, make sure that in everything you do, you show forth your faith, because faith without works is dead. Now, it's not that our works earn our way to heaven. It works basically show and demonstrate whether your faith is real or not what James is talking about. And today, right now, in chapter 3, we're going to talk about the tongue. You believe in Christ, let your tongue represent it appropriately. Okay, let's, let's think about our tongue. What do we know about our tongues? What do you know about your tongue? Desiree, what do you know about your tongue? No, you're stuck. Addison, what do you know about your tongue? Yeah, without your tongue, you couldn't talk. You realize that all vertebrates have tongues? That only human beings have tongues that can talk. That is very good. What else do you know about the physical nature of a tongue? What else do we know? Yes, Ethan. It what? Yeah, taste buds. It is the primary origin of our taste. In fact, it's the only place we can taste. Right there on our, our taste buds. Yes, what do you got, Colin? It's wet, right. Right, with saliva, it's wet all the time. It's kind of wet and slimy, isn't it, right? What else do you know about our tongue? Yes, Devaney. Okay, yeah, in fact, you, it's really hard to eat without the tongue because the tongue, primary purpose of it is to take our food in and kind of put it so we can chew on it, so we can basically swallow our food, right? And the sliminess helps with that as well, Colin. Anything else you know about the tongue? Yeah, Andrew. 
It's almost always red. Okay, except what? If maybe you're, you're eating like a blueberry lollipop or something, right? And then what turn, color does it turn, huh? Blue. You stick out your tongue? Nah, it's blue. What about the underside of your tongue? What color is the underside of your tongue? It's mostly red. It's a little bit blue, right? You see the, the veins in there, right? A lot of, a lot of muscles, a lot of blood coming there. What else do you know about the tongue? Yes, Caleb? It can curse. That's right. We're going to talk about that as we talk about talking. Yes, Michaeli? A bolus. Yes, you've been learning your science very well. A bolus then that you can chew and, and swallow. Very good. Hey, how many muscles are in your tongue? There are eight muscles in your tongue. Four are extrinsic and four are intrinsic. You know what the difference between those are? Yeah, some are on the outside. And those that are on the outside are, are more dealing with the, the movement of your tongue. And those on the inside, the intrinsic, deal with the shape of your tongue. You can do tricks with your tongue. Kids, can you do this? The rolling your tongue? Right? Can you do that, Ephraim? Can you do that? No. No. Other tricks you can do with your tongue? Yep. They can make noise. That's right. Very good. Other tricks you can do with your tongue? Some can make like a clover. Can, can you, I can't do it. Kind of like this, make You know what I'm talking about? You can whistle with your tongue a little bit. What else? Yeah, turn, can you turn it upside down? I can go, can you go both ways? Or maybe I can't. I thought I could. Who knows? You can do that. Okay, and what? You know, the really smart people in this world, I just found this out really, the really smart people in this world, when they look up, they cannot stick out their tongues. You know that? You get it? You get it? Okay, alright. Good, I'll just let that one slide for all of you who tried it, okay? <laughs> alright, the tongue. The tongue is there. Let's consider the power of the tongue. Get more serious now. The tongue is very powerful. Now, it's not that it's powerful in that it is strong. It has got these four muscles. And maybe if you go to the Guinness Book of World Records, you can find somebody who can take a tongue and maybe like pull a train car or something with their tongue. Um, but the tongue is powerful in a different way. Consider what Proverbs 12.18 says. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. One who speaks rashly is compared to the one who, who takes out his sword and can poke and can pierce deep within. Such is the power of the tongue. But on the flip side, even the tongue can do a good thing. The tongue is able to bring a balm of healing to the soul with wise words spoken in a timely manner. The tongue can help and heal. Or the tongue can hurt. Both things with our, our tongue. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Proverbs 15.4 In other words, your tongue can give life to people. When it talks about the tree of life, you think biblically, the tree of life was in the Garden of Eden and that's what provided Adam and Eve with everything they needed. Right? And even in the end of Revelation, the tree of life is there. The tree of life just epitomizes life 
epitomizes the best of life, the glories of life. And in our tongue, we can be, we can give the tree of life. But on the other hand, perversion crushes the spirit. Our tongue is capable of crushing the spirit of another human being. Such is the power of a tongue. I think the best one when you think about the tongue is Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. In other words, you can kill people with your tongue. And you give people life with your tongue. You've heard the saying, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Have you heard that? Is it true? It's not true. Names will hurt you. In fact, even a better way to say that is this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may even kill me. So in other words, sticks and stones, they can just break your bones. That's all they can do. But they're not going to kill you. But... Your words can kill. Because death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, realize life is in the power of the tongue. With your tongue, you can give people hope. You can give people joy. You can give people encouragement. When you speak the timely word, it can give grace. Now, my message today in James 3 primarily speaks about the, the difficulties and the trials and the sorrowful bad words that tongues say. But I just, I just put in here a word about the good things that tongue can say. We've talked about this several times before. But I would encourage you to think about Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so it may be able to give grace to those who hear it. Right? Don't use your tongue in any unwholesome way at all. But may it give grace. Your tongue can give grace. And I found the best way to do that is to identify how God's working in someone's life and point that out to them. Find out how God is working in someone's life and point out how God is working in them. Tell someone who's going through trials, I see God is really sustaining you through this trial and difficulty. Because through this time, I see a joy in you. I see a, a contentment in you. I see a perseverance in you. And I just know those things are coming from God and they're coming into your life. And, and that can give life, that can be a life-giving hope to those who are going through sorrows and difficulties of life that you're talking about what God is doing in my life. And I'm encouraged by that. Or I'm thankful to God for you. We've talked about that. Thankful to God for these particular things in your life. Like, see how God is working in people's lives and build them up that way. Your tongue can do that. Your tongue is powerful. In fact, I would say your tongue is a a lethal weapon. Maybe that's the reason God put your tongue in a cage behind your teeth, walled it around with your jaws. Because you're carrying a concealed weapon in your mouth. That could be a weapon for good, or it could be a weapon for bad. Well, let's consider James chapter 3. I'm just going to read it for you here. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put the bits into the horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. though They are so great and driven by strong winds are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body 
and is set on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. For from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We see here, right the very first verse, the warning not to be teachers. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. really flows from the discussion in James chapter 2 with the importance of works, right? Because the things that we do demonstrate the things that we believe. And you got to get that. The things that we do demonstrate what we believe. We don't believe what we say we believe. We believe what we do. That's the whole argument of James. How it works out in your life is what you believe. Now, as a teacher of God's Word, it's a dangerous profession because teacher of God's Word is expected to do what He says. And everything that's spoken forth, I'm expected to do. And I just know how easy it is for me as a pastor to call you all to high levels of obedience and high levels of commitment. Right? Read your Bible every day. And you know what? The, the difficult for me is there are days when I don't read my Bible. And so if I'm telling you to read your Bible every day and I'm not doing that, like, where am I? I see you share the gospel every day with a non-Christian. Well, sadly, I don't have enough non-Christians in my life to do that. Or give a portion of every day to memorizing Scripture. Or give a high portion of your income to the Lord's work. Or spending your time in the work of the Lord. In the church. Whenever the church meets, you should always be there. Be at all the Bible studies. Go on a yearly missions trip. Right? Or, or be involved in the missions in the city, at the Rockford Rescue Mission, or protesting at the abortion clinic, or the pregnancy care center, volunteering there, or being a foster family to help outreach in the community, or helping in some soup kitchen, or helping some way. I can just pile these things on top of you. I can say you shouldn't waste your time, right? We need to pursue holiness, without which no one will fear the Lord. So don't waste your time just watching television. Don't waste your time on secular music, or don't kill your time on Facebook. Give your devotion fully to Jesus Christ. And I would say right there, I start listing these things, I start pounding them up, and pretty soon you're going to see that I don't actually believe everything I say. Because it's easy to set the standard really high. And here's the, the, the scary thing about a preacher is that Jesus said, in the way that you judge, you'll be judged, and your standard of measure will be measured back to you. 
Matthew 7, verse 2. And so there's a, there's a, there's a warning there for preachers of, of God's Word. I'd be exposed as a hypocrite and my condemnation would be easier because of all the recorded things I've said. And with those who speak publicly and put public things out there, it's very difficult. And let me just say here that this is why the cross of Christ is so precious to me. Because I know the many ways I've stumbled with my tongue. I know the ways so I will not stand before the Lord blameless in any way apart from the, the blood of Jesus Christ. And as I put that out there before you all and say, hey, this is standard where we're seeking to attain. We're seeking to walk these ways. We're seeking, I just put out for you something that's an impossible life to live. You can't even do that. But as we, we, that's what we're aiming for. We say, you know what? The cross of Christ covers the multitude of sins and makes us right before Him. And therefore, as Christ is, is center in my theology, my preaching, then you can see, you know what? I, I'm, not, I, I'm preaching far beyond what I'm living, but in Jesus, I've reached there because as Darren said so well in his prayer that Jesus lived the life that we ought to live and He died the death we ought to die. And there's where hope is even for teachers of, of God's law and God's Word. But here's the power of the, of the tongue. is it, it can condemn. That's my first point. I'm kind of into it, but it can condemn. The tongue condemns because what you say doesn't match up in what you do. And furthermore, it's not just about teachers of God's Word. Also, verse 2 speaks about everybody, even in the pew. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. And when James says here, we all stumble, that's another way of saying that we all sin. We all sin. We all sin in many ways. Now let me just ask this. Do you realize you're a sinner? How many of you are sinners? <clears throat> How many of you are sinners? Every hand. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up, Scotty. Good. Good. You got them up. I'm just, hey, Ephraim, you're going to get your hand up or you're going to keep them down? Put your hand up, Ephraim. We're all sinners. Okay? It's good because we're church folk. We can say, hey, yeah, yeah, we're sinners. Um, let me give you a little insight. Um, Angelina, at uh, Kids Club, you remember Thursday? Remember what we were talking about? We learned the ten what? The ten... You weren't there. You were throwing up. You were... The ten... He was sick, so he didn't kind of... Come. The ten commandments. Can you name them? Do not worship any other gods. Do not seal. We're working on that. We're working on all ten of them. Can you name all ten commandments? You shall have no other, God, no other gods. Do not have any idols. Stephanie, I know you can, right? Do not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Keep the Sabbath holy. Honor your father and your mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not lie. Do not steal. And do not covet anything. Good. We're learning that. And we went through all ten of those commandments at our kids' club. Right, guys? Angelina, particularly, we did this on Thursday. and went through every single one. The kids understood. And they could easily point out where everyone else was sinning. That mom sinned, dad sinned, brother sinned. Right? I can tell. Friends stole this. When we came and we said, well, are you all sinners? No, I've never, I've never, I've never committed the Ten Commandments. Never broken them. Right, Angelina? You remember that? But then we just really taught and trained how, you know what, all of us are sinners. We've all broken the Ten Commandments. I have broken the Ten Commandments. Every single one of them I've broken. Maybe I've murdered somebody, but I have thought evil of people and hated them. But we are all, all sinners. Now, we can just say that in an umbrella sense, but let, let, me just, let me get down a little more personable. How many of you have sinned with your mouth before? Let's get your hands up there. Now, what you do, before you put your hand down, I want you to think of a particular 
thing that you have said that you have sinned against somebody. Why don't you put that in mind? Because it's one thing just to say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a general sinner. I sin with my mouth. But it's another thing to say, oh, that was, that was sinful in what I did. So if you can think of it. I want something on your mind. I want it to be real tangible. I want you to say, you know, yes, I've, I've sinned in this way. Once you feel the, the depth of your sin, the fact that you raised your hands this morning says, I need Christ. That's what you're raising. You're a sinner. Your hand goes up. You need Christ. Yes, your hand goes up. We need Christ. And I just want you to feel the depth of your sin because your sin will condemn you. And your tongue, the words you've spoken, will be enough to condemn you. Jesus said, by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. Now, the reason why Jesus said, by your words you'll be condemned is because... Now, one thing we didn't talk about, the tongue. you have any idea how long the tongue is? How long is the tongue? Addison, you got a guess? How long is your tongue? Two inches? Maybe a little longer than that. Anyone else have another guess? Yeah, what you got, Nathan? Two and a half. Maybe a little bit longer. If we keep going, we'll probably get there. Yeah, Drew? Three and a half. Oh, we're getting there. Almost. Almost. Who's going to get there? Yeah, Gates? Five. Oh, we went a little too far. We're about four inches, is probably the average. But uh, kids, tongue is probably three and a half. And probably Grant, you're a big man. You're, you're maybe just pushing the five area. But you know what? When Jesus said how big our tongue is, He said our tongue is actually not four inches, but He says our tongue is about twelve inches. Do you know that? Do you know why He said that? Because your tongue is such that it reaches down deep into your heart and whatever is in your heart your tongue brings up and comes out. Listen to how Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Whatever's in your heart is going to come out. That's why we all stumble in what we say. It's because our hearts are filled with muck. And as we bring up what's from our heart, it's going to be very hard to keep your tongue clean because our hearts are... Mucky. Where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable because you just can't, can't bring up pure things from wicked hearts. In fact, Jesus even one time was amazed. How can you, being evil, do and say what is good? It's an amazing thing. But our, tongue, our tongue condemns. Second thing, our tongue controls. Look at verse 3. Got some illustrations here, right? Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so they will obey us, we direct their entire bodies. Okay, let's think about a horse. How big's a horse? How big's a horse? Yes, Angelina. Forty-five inches. That's that's pretty good. Forty-five inches is maybe about right here. Is it how big a horse is? Up to the back. How high are horses up to the back? How high? Yeah. Yeah, 13 to 15 hands. Good. How hand is about how much? Four inches. So 15 hands is how high? It's about five feet. Okay, a lot of horses are about five feet tall. Now, obviously, they're the big Clydesdales, which are a lot bigger, and they're the tiny horses. But an average horse is about five feet high. And their heads, how high do they reach? Seven feet high, maybe. Um, how much do they weigh? How much does a horse weigh? What do you got, Dylan? You don't know? You're just raising your hand? About what? 600 pounds? That would probably be a small horse. What do you think, Andrew? 
800, 900, maybe 1,000 pounds, a good, good round number. And you know what jockeys who race, how much do the jockeys weigh? 85 pounds. That's right, they weigh 85 pounds. A jockey um, can be tops, well, 126 pounds. They have a weight that they can add on there to, to race in the thoroughbred racing areas. And so you got a 120-pound jockey. He puts a little bit, and how big's a bit? Three inches long, a little bit. Puts it in the tender portion of the mouth, and that jockey can tell that horse where to go, and that horse will find, will, will go wherever he says. So also is the tongue. Let's talk about verse 5, the rudder. Uh, look at ships, verse 4. Ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of, of the pilot desires. Okay, let's, let's, let's picture ships, right? We can think about big ships. Like, let's, let's think the Titanic. How big is the Titanic? What do you think, Addison? It's Titanic. Titanic means big. 45 feet, a little longer than that. Yeah, what do you guess, Ethan? How many football fields? Five. That's a little bigger than Titanic. Titanic was only three football fields. That's still pretty big. 900 feet long is what this thing was. I think it was 100 feet across wide, weighed 48,000 tons. And yet, how big was the rudder? This huge boat. Well, just to give you an indication, rudders on big boats like that are typically... Now, today, I, I use the Titanic because today they use thrusters to, to pull, push boats which way they go. But back then, when they had rudders... And by the way, they had big ships in the days of, of Jesus, in the day of James. When Paul was taken to Rome on a ship, there were 276 passengers on board that ship. To give you an insight, there were only 102 passengers on the Mayflower. So, they had big ships back there. They understood rudders. The rudder on the Titanic... <coughs> Tony, you know, you're a Titanic expert. She just loves the Titanic. You have books on the Titanic and everything, right? You don't know how big. All right, well, you've learned something today. The Titanic, the rudder on the Titanic was about 24, 28 feet high and 16 feet long. So 28, uh, what's the top of the roof here, Ray? We figured that out. 20 feet? Is that how high we are? Remember we had the ladders up there? 18, 25 feet. 25 feet, so it's about this tall and about 16 feet wide. So just kind of take this to square. That's how big the rudder was for the Titanic. Little rudder. I mean, that's big to us, but when you talk about the size of the Titanic, little rudder can control the whole ship and controlled by a little, whatever, hydraulic knob up in the pilot's station. And so also the point comes in verse 5. The tongue it's a small part of the body, but it boasts of great things. Our tongue, though it's small, can, can move the body. Where the tongue boasts, the body will seek to carry it into action. Our, our, co, our tongue, I'm, th- I'm picturing here, my, our tongue is like the leader of a gang. So picture, if you will, deep in the inner city someplace, deep in the basement someplace, this dark room with one little light on top of that, and you got all these big thugs in this gang, but the guy in the middle who's the, the leader generally isn't so big, right? What differentiates him is he's got the brains, right? And, and this little guy, oftentimes fierce and mean for sure, you don't cross the leader of the gang, but whatever he says goes. If he says, hey boys, you know, the cops have been on us for a while, we need to lay low the next couple of weeks, what's going to happen to the gang? They're going to lay low for a couple of weeks. And if the leader of the gang says, hey guys, we're going to rumble next Tuesday, what's going to happen? 
They're going to rumble next Tuesday. And if he says, you know, we're going to meet tomorrow at the bell, what are they going to do? They're going to meet at the bell. Whatever the leader says, that's what we're going to do. And so also with your tongue. Your tongue controls. Whatever your tongue says, that is what you are going to do. This may not be the strongest muscle in your body, but your tongue is the most influential muscle in your body. What it says goes, and that's why David said, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. God, I need Your help to control my tongue. That's a good prayer for us too, right? The tongue condemns us. It controls us. Thirdly, it corrupts. Third point, it it corrupts. Verse 5, See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Now, we don't see forest fires here in Illinois. I mean, the, the Smokey the Bear signs, you ever seen those? you got big Smokey the Bear, and then it says fire danger, and it's got a little slot that you can have high, medium, low. And then today, you guys seen those signs? Maybe you traveled out west, seen those signs? Now, in Illinois, when it says fire danger, always in that slot, what does it say? Always low. I've never seen it any, up to medium even. It's always low because we got so much moisture here. But you go out to California, you got to Arizona... Smokey the Bear, fire danger, what's it going to say? High. Like almost all the time it's going to say, say really high. Because there's a danger out there. Folks, when it comes to our tongue and our body, we live in Arizona and California. The danger of fire is high. And it's a yearly event in California, Arizona, Texas. They destroy thousands of acres. Like, like just take a 2011 in Arizona, eastern Arizona in May. Fire came when two cousins were out camping in eastern Arizona. They left the campfire unattended, and uh, the wind picked up, kicked a little bit over into the brush. It starts burning, starts burning, starts burning, and it starts raging out of control. Firefighters all around Arizona, New Mexico are all called to try to try to get there. They try. Can can we stop forest fires? No. Not really. Who stops forest fires? Who does, Angelina? Yeah, no, we can't. Who does? Stephanie, you know. Who who stops forest fires? God. And this forest fire in Arizona just in May ravaged for 10 days until God sent the providential rain. Only after 538,000 acres of forest were cleared, 10,000 people evacuated from the homes, 32 homes, four rental facilities, forced to evacuate $679 million worth of property damaged. And how did it start? How did all that start? Yes. A little fire it started. Now, think about this. How did the fire get started? By a little match. How did the match get started? By a little spark. One spark. 79 million. And that, church families, our tongue. I don't know if you realize the damage that our tongue can do. I've uh, counseled people over the years. Um, some people I've talked to, they've regretted the words they said 20 years ago. Just like this word they said that set this flame in their family, in their whatever, 20 years ago. They I've, I've spoken to grown men who have been devastated by their parents' words to them. Never gotten past them. Now, in Christ, you can get past them, but heaven, that, that's just the power of the tongue. It's gone out there. And, and, and the tongue, you can't take things back. There's forgiveness in Christ, to be sure, 
But oftentimes a tongue can't be taken back. A man went one time to a, to a very wise man. He said, I've spoken so many words. I want to take my words back. What can I do? And the man says, well, this. You want to take your words back? You go tonight at midnight. You take your pillow and you go to the toppest tower in our city and you rip that pillow open and you take all the feathers and you push all those feathers out and let the wind blow them throughout the city and into the countryside. And then you wait for three days and then three days later you go and you pick up all those feathers and you put them back in your pillow. And the man said, I can't do that. That's impossible. And he says, so also the words you've let out, you can't take them back. You can't take them back. Such is the power of our words. In fact, it says here in verse 6, the tongue is a fire. Fire danger in your tongue is very high today. It is the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Our tongues here describe the very world of iniquity. I mean, think about how the Scripture defines our tongues. Our tongues flatter. Under the tongue is mischief and wickedness. Our tongue frames deceit. It devises destruction. The tongue is deceitful. It's a sharp sword. The tongue lies. It's perverted. It's destruction. And that's just a survey of the use of the word tongue in Proverbs and Psalms. When Paul seeks to describe the wickedness of men in Romans chapter 3, he goes to the tongue. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep on deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Listen, we have no idea how far our words can go. We have no idea the wickedness of where our tongues lie. But tongues can be powerful. In the 1930s, millions of Americans turned into a popular radio program featured plays directed by Orson Welles. And you know what play came about October 30th, 1938? What was it called? The War of the Worlds. Where, uh, what Orson Welles sought to do is rather than tell of Martians invading us, he put it in drama. And so what he did was he... He uh, had news broadcasts which would interrupt music. Uh, so the music was playing, a news broadcaster would come in, interrupt saying, and, and bringing these newscaster reports. And I've got a transcript here of one of the, one of the broadcasters who said this. So picture these words going out on national, national radio. And back then, national radio was more popular than national TV because everyone was listening to the radio. The reporter says this, Good heavens, something's wriggling out of the shadow like a gray smoke. Now it's another one and another. They, they look like tentacles to me. And, and there uh, I can see the thing's body. It's, it's large as a bear and it glistens like wet leather. But that face, it's indescribable. I can hardly force myself to keep looking at it. It's, its eyes are black and it's gleam like a serpent. and it's, its mouth is V-shaped with saliva dripping from its rimless lips that seem to quiver and pulsate. The thing's raising up. The crowd is, is falling back. I, I, I've seen enough. They've seen enough. And this is the most extraordinary experience. I can't find words. I, I'm pulling this microphone with me as I talk. I have to stop the description. I get to a new position. When I get there, I'll, I'll call you back. This is that kind of thing, just just frantic, and he was a much better actor than I was, all right. But but just really and, and you know what that caused? That caused nationwide panic. As people listened to this simulation of a news broadcast, they they packed the roads, they hid in cellars, they loaded their guns, they wrapped their heads in wet towels to protect themselves from marsh and poison gas. 
in any attempt to defend themselves from the aliens. And so is the power of words that went across on the radio that went abroad. And so likewise our words. Never underestimate the power of your words. They are a fire. Your tongue is a fire. It is. Sets on fire the course of our life. The tongue was the instrument by which the human race fell into sin. As Satan spoke to Adam and Eve. The tongue committed the first sin after the fall. When God came and asked Adam, Adam said, no, it was the woman that you gave me, God. She gave me the fruit and I ate. Right? They're right, using from the tongue to sin. And the sad reality is that we can't tame the tongue. Verse 7, For every species of beasts and birds of reptiles and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. You can go to the zoo and see all these species, but no one can tame the tongue. We can't put it behind bars. As much as it's been put in our mouth in this cave behind teeth, it still is out and we can't tame the tongue. Thomas Edison was once introduced in a meeting, introduced to the man who invented the first machine that can talk. Edison got up. He said, no. God invented the first machine that can talk. I invented the first machine that you can turn off. You can stop talking. Can't tame the tongue. But on... As much as we can't tame the tongue, the good news is this, there is one who has tamed his tongue. Jesus Christ. He has tamed his tongue and Christ has died for our tongue sins. Because he's lived the life we should have lived and he died the death we should have died. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. So the words that we speak that are bad, he bore upon the cross. Let's go to point number four. I'm squeezing a point there on your outline. Point number four. Not only is the tongue condemned, control, and corrupt, it also contradicts. I want to read these verses and then I'm going to do something I haven't done ever before, I don't think, in a message. I want to show you a short five-minute video. Some of you have seen this video before. Some of you haven't. And then I'll make five minutes of comments and we can go on our way. Let me read verses 7, 9 through 12. Our tongue contradicts. With it, we bless our Lord and Father and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Did the fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or vines produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Let's play this video and then I'll have five more minutes and then we'll be done. And to that I simply say, as verse 10 says, My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. The illustrations here of a fountain. It either puts forth good water or bad water. The, the fig tree either puts olives or figs. The ocean doesn't produce fresh water, and so likewise, uh, the mouth of God ought to produce what is good. Amos chapter 5, God says this. He says, I hate, I reject your festivals, O Israel, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. And these are the festivals and your solemn assemblies that God had commanded them to do. He says, even though you offer to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings that, that I commanded, God says, I will not accept them. I will not even look at your peace offerings and your fatlings. 
Then he says this, Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sounds of your harps. I don't even want to listen to it. You just stop singing, church. So if this has convicted you, okay, because there are elements in there that certainly convict Avon and I, to be sure. Um, if, it, if it convicts you, realize that when God calls you on a Sunday morning or to be around people, there's a song, it's great. Come, now's the time to worship. Come just as you are. We ought to come just as we are, not grumpy. But we ought to come to our kids. Well, here's what happened. Is, is that good? When the man drove up and put his car in the parking lot, he should have stopped right there and said, okay, kids, you know what? My mouth has been full of cursing and bitterness. And I, I confess that and it is wrong. Would you forgive me? I know here we are coming to worship God and my, my tongue is not right, but I'm just saying, family, I'm seeking to make my heart right now so I can enter the house of the Lord with joy. Would you please forgive me? And discussions should be around when you're like that on your way into church or on your way ever go. And if it means it takes a minute or two to get out of the car, stay in your car. Most people won't bother you. And change that and get right and then come just as you are. God doesn't like charades. He doesn't like hypocrites to come. He says, you can say, stop the singing. So certainly, husbands and wives, pause in the car before you come. That's common be real. That's the, the message here. My final point is really more of an addendum. It's how I'm fitting verses 13 through 18 into the chapter. Our tongue condemns, our tongue controls, our tongue corrupts, our tongue contradicts. So let's seek wisdom with our tongues. So seek wisdom. And that's the thrust. We don't have time here, verses 13 through 18. But let me just read it. And basically it's just saying, well, seek the wisdom that is from above. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant, so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, and then peaceable, and gentle, and reasonable, full of mercy, and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose Fruit is righteousness, is sown in peace by those who make peace. And the bottom line is here, you can either live by the wisdom of the world, wisdom of the earth, or you can live by the wisdom of heaven. And the way to live by, live by the wisdom of heaven is to seek the Lord and trust the Lord that you would change your heart, that your words would reflect things appropriately. So let us seek the wisdom. Let us seek the wise one. Let's pray. Father, these words in this video perhaps are convicting upon our souls. God, but far better to address it head on as a church body than to ignore it and pretend like coming to church a hypocrite is okay. It's not okay. And God, You're the one that sees. And so I pray that You would teach us, God, to, to confess our sins quickly and often. Father, that we might come with integrity here to the house of God. If there are discussions that parents need to have with their children about ways they've been wrong, I pray those discussions would take place. 
And I pray that there would be hope given in Jesus. God, that's our only hope for these things. And He is our wisdom. As 1 Corinthians 1 speaks about, He's our wisdom, our righteousness, our redemption, our sanctification is in Jesus. And may, O oh Lord, we find it in Him. Thank You for Your Word which convicts, reproves, exhorts, exposes. And may it draw us to Jesus. God who alone repairs and gives life with His tongue. So help us this day, we pray, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.